When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask the Father to forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the Gospel, Peter comes to Jesus to see if this is really true. He wondered how often it should be that he forgives his brother, that he should forgive someone who sins against him. Peter comes to Jesus with a, a thought or a suggestion uh, to Jesus. He offers the number seven. It's a good number. Maybe even my favorite number. I don't know. But he offers it to Jesus. Seems generous to forgive someone seven times. After all, we have a saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So seven, seven even to us, seems a little excessive. Maybe it's even a bit of a sucker's game. Who in their right mind forgives someone seven times? Especially if it's for the same exact thing. Who in their right mind gives that many chances? In the world, there are first impressions and maybe, maybe second chances. So Peter just wants to know the new rules according to Jesus. Jesus tells him, however, not seven. Oh, okay. But forgive 77 times. Or because the translation is a a little bit tricky here, some believe Jesus might even be saying 70 times seven. So forgive 490 times. Got to double check that. Is Jesus making a semantic point here? No. He's not telling Peter to forgive exactly 77 times or 490 times, but that you should lose count when you are forgiving someone. Or better, don't keep track at all. Just forgive your brother. That's it. Forgive your neighbor. Forgive all who sin against you. And even though it seems a bit ridiculous to forgive an innumerable amount of times, there's actually a very personal reason why you want this to be true. Very personal reason why we want to hear Jesus' word and to hear it actually with great relief. We pray for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, believing that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. And that simply means that the Father first forgives us and we should act in kind. We should Forgive in the same way, forgiving others as graciously as our Lord has forgiven us. Forgiving as God forgives and always practicing a life of forgiveness. And because our faith is in Jesus, we continue to pray for his mercy despite our sins, knowing that Jesus will not turn us away. He won't turn you away. Not 77 times, not 490 times, and even beyond those numbers, you can always come to Jesus and know that your sins will be forgiven. That's how the parable starts out. The parable Jesus shares starts in this very generous way. A king is passing judgment upon one of his servants, much like how God will pass judgment on us sinners. And when it comes time for the servant to pay what is owed to the king, what happens? But they discover, he, the king discovers that the servant is unable to pay 
the debt. And in fact, he'll never pay it. Because it's more than he'll ever be able to conjure up. More than anything that he could ever possibly pay back the king. His indebtedness is so great, so bottomless. And the king knows it. It's a harsh judgment that the king passes upon him. The king orders not only for him to be sold, but for his wife to be sold, for his children to be sold, and everything that he has in order to pay up the debt. And who knows if it even will pay it. He can only get out of this predicament once he pays it up. That's not going to happen. It's much how we will be judged when God calls to a close the account of our life. Sinners cannot pay back what is owed to God. And often they have condemned their family to the same fate, passing on unbelief from generation to generation, putting their wives and their children and their relatives in the same bondage to sin by living as if it didn't all matter. But now, all of a sudden, it really does. Hell is a real bondage that no one can good deed themselves out of. It's forever. So the finality here in the parable is really quite horrifying. Jesus then shows the servants only one chance. Mercy. Only if the king shows mercy does he have a shot. And that's just what he does. And just like the in-debt servant, in-debt sinners like us are neither worthy for the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But the king, and King Jesus, gives this forgiveness to us. Together we are at odds with the Lord living as if God doesn't matter and as if we mattered most. We've spent our lives, our most valuable asset, our life, and we've spent it investing in sinful pursuits. But God in his mercy doesn't count to 77 or 490 times and cuts us off. He just forgives you. He is like the king of the parable who shows mercy. Mercy to the servant and forgives him all. All is that, not just a little bit, not just a little partial, not something that you kind of have to work your way back into the good graces of the king. It's a complete mercy. All his debt, covered, gone, erased. Jesus forgives you all your debt too, all your sin. Salvation's impossible demand for, protect, for perfection becomes possible through the forgiveness of Jesus. His perfect love, Jesus' perfect love, covers your and mine exceedingly imperfect sinfulness. Again, this is why in the Lord's Prayer, we ask that the Father would give us the things for which we pray by grace. For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. The parable Jesus provides is a clear preaching God's wonderful grace, that which is unearned, but given anyway. The king gives the servant grace. He gives him what is unearned, what is undue to him, freedom from the debt. Our debt is sin, earned by our nature and every malice of thought, word, and deed. It's impossible to pay off that kind of debt. So the benevolent King Jesus does it for you. Out of his mercy, with his holy, precious blood, and with his innocent suffering and death, 
Jesus pays your debt. But nothing is free. That freedom that we call redemption, that freedom from sin, it was bought with a price. Jesus became our crucified benefactor. He exchanges his everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness for our unrighteousness, our guilt, our curse. For all of our sin, Jesus takes it to himself. And you would think that as miraculous as this exchange is, that the world over would be exceedingly grateful. But they aren't. And we aren't. And so we must be on guard. We must guard our hearts unless we too fall into the same pit of despair, the same ungrateful pit of unbelief. That's, in fact, where the parable takes a nasty turn. You heard it. The forgiven servant turns on his neighbor, who owes him far less than he did the king. And in the end, the forgiven servant has his neighbor by the neck and he throws him into prison even after he pleads in the exact same way the exact same way that his accuser pled before the king and received mercy it's wildly bizarre but it's how the world works it's vicious in this way it speaks to the plight of forgiven sinners And truly how on guard you must be in the world. Satan doesn't leave forgiven sinners alone. He loves to pursue you. He tempts you all the more. This is why your conscience bothers you more than those who don't believe in Jesus. You are more constantly troubled by temptations. You think of things you know are wrong, but you wish for a moment, just one moment that they weren't wrong. You want to say something that you know you can't, but you wish for a moment you could. If only once you could do what Christians don't do, that would be a thrilling moment. You feel constrained, handcuffed. The rest of the world goes on, but you seem boxed in. The parable servant is no different. He saw his freedom from debt as an opportunity to gain something from the depths of his heart, from the desires of his heart. He wanted to go from being in debt to having money in his pocket, and he didn't mind stepping on others to get it. He broke through the barriers of thought, word, and deed. He didn't mind bankrupting another in his pursuit. But in the end... His exploits received the worst kind of loss. The unearned freedom he gained was once again taken from him. The king who gave freedom is the same king who can and did take it away. For each of us, this freedom through forgiveness brings a variety of deeply personal and spiritual battles. I believe that you likely love God because he first loved you and that you then want to love others as God loves you. But you must know that the opportunity to sin is just a heartbeat away. The message of the parable, however, 
is God's response to our wickedness, to our depths of our sinful heart. The message of the parable is God's unending love for you and and me. And forgiveness is the best expression of God's love for us sinners. The servant's trouble wasn't that he was a sinner. That's what each of us already are. God already knows this about each of us. It wasn't that he was a sinner, but but that he went from being a repentant sinner to an unrepentant sinner. Given the king's mercy to be merciful, he turned and was unmerciful, unforgiving. If we will guard our hearts from this kind of evil, we will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. And that's how we will live. That's how you and I will live by faith. Depending on Jesus and clinging to his daily forgiveness to cover the multitude of our daily sins. We will not count how we uh, we will not count how well we forgive and we will not count how often we forgive or count anything as it relates to forgiveness. Instead, we will forgive as we are forgiven and forgive so many times that even God loses track. We will see God's forgiveness as the answer to daily prayer. And as we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you and I, we will at the end, we will have God's forgiveness. We will see in this text the abundance of God's love. Forgiveness, as St. Peter himself discovered, is far outweighing any debt that we owe. Amen.